And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday as we start to grind down into the last two weeks of the month. Also, kicking off a lot of earnings right now. I mean, this today we're going to have Tesla out today. So that'll be the kind of the big market mover um, because it's in the top 10 stocks of the S&P 500. Yesterday, Netflix reporting better than expected numbers. And of course, uh, better than expected subscriber growth. Stock was up after the bell yesterday. So you know, again, you know, what we've done here is, as we noted this morning on Twitter, uh, we're now well into millennial earnings season, which is where everybody gets a trophy, right? So just better than expected earnings. We talked about about this and that that was going to give, you know, the ability for the market to have a little bit of a rally here because again, just We've lowered expectations to the point that companies are still going to be able to beat those earnings. So we'll have a higher beat rate. Everybody will get excited and uh, that'll help give kind of a lift to stocks near term. Now, the good news yesterday is markets did open up, did sell off a little bit intraday, um, but uh, markets did hold above that 20 day moving average yesterday. Actually came down, tested it and then bounced off of it towards the close. Uh, so that's actually a good little positive test here. Uh, need to get some follow through today. Um, we need to kind of, you know, get a little bit of upside today. Again, just try to reconfirm that we are moving above that 20 day moving average. That'll help give the market a little bit of lift. And again, the kind of the next uh, point of, of context, so to speak, is going to be right here at about 3,900 ish. Um, so once we can get up to 3,900, 4,000, that's going to be probably the upper limits of this kind of this reflexive rally, at least in the short term. Um, could go higher than that, as we talked about uh, yesterday. Uh, get to the end of this month. It might be sloppy here for the next week or so, but get to the end of the month. Share buybacks come back and the blackout window for share buybacks go away. That allows the banks, the big brokerage firms, et cetera, to start buying back their shares, Apple, Microsoft, Google. Uh, that will help give about a $4 billion, $4.5 billion lift to stocks uh, on a daily basis through the end of the year. We've also talked about just the number of managers, just offsides here. So again, negative, you know, a lot of negative sentiment, negative positioning. That's giving the market a little bit of support. Now, the good news also, too, is um, one thing we look for on a technical basis is what's called negative divergences. And this is where um, markets uh, indicators are doing something the opposite of what the market is doing. And, and importantly, we saw this here just recently. Now, this isn't a be-all, end-all sign by any stretch of the imagination, but it just goes to kind of show you that sometimes things aren't just what they appear on the surface. Um, markets were selling off to new lows, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks. Of course, after we reported that hot CPI number last Thursday, markets sold off, set a new low. Everything was very bearish. The interesting thing, though, was we had a negative divergence. We had the MACD was actually rising. Um, even though we, the market set a new low, the MACD did not. And it was the same way <clears throat> with the RSI, the Relative Strength Index, also was rising and, setting, and, and not setting new lows. So even though the market was setting new lows and there was a lot of you know, concern, oh, markets are going to crash, lots of bearishness, right? The underlying indicators were actually telling you that things were improving on a price basis. So uh, again, this, this is what's called that negative divergence. It's when the technical indicators are telling you something different 
than what the market's telling you. And that can happen when stocks are really bullish too. You'll see these technical indicators start to sell off um, while stock prices are going up, and that's a good indicator. It's time to take profits and kind of move to the sidelines. But what this all suggests is, again, uh, this bit of a rally here likely might have a little bit of leg to it. Again, don't expect a whole lot. We've got some resistance right here at about 3,800, which is this kind of previous top that we set a couple of weeks ago. Got to get above 3,800. That'll give you a clear shot to 3,900 at that point. But again, these are fairly limited ranges, so make sure that you're selling into this rally as we get it. It uh, doesn't mean sell everything, doesn't mean go completely to cash. But as we're going to talk about today, we're not likely through the bear market. Yeah, there's a lot of indicators that suggest we have the conditions necessary for a bear market low, right? And But we've got some other things that are going on yet we haven't seen all what we need, right, to declare that we're at a bear market low. So there's some more work to do, and we're going to kind of go through some of those signs to be looking for today, and something we've kind of written about here recently as well. But again, we're just not quite there yet. Um, again, with the Fed still hiking rates at this point, that's going to be problematic. And, and, and speaking of that, um, you know, the, the Fed monetary policy, the Fed hiking rates, tightening monetary, monetary I'll spit that out, monetary policy, um, you know, that is something that, again, has a big lag effect to it. So this is another big challenge here for markets is that while markets may rally here in the short term, uh, again, there's a lot of these monetary rate hikes, this monetary tightening that has not come through the system yet. That's going to show up in the first quarter of next year. The problem for the Fed, of course, continues to be is, is that they're operating on kind of a lagging basis at this point. So, you know, they're looking at data that has a very slow lag to it. And, and again, you know, talk about housing rents. There is, you take a look at the Zillow rent index as an example, that rent index is coming down sharply, but the Fed's looking at CPI, which has rents contained in that, that homeowner's equivalent rent, which has about a six month lag to it before it peaks. So again, there's just a disconnect between what the Fed is doing and what they're looking at versus what the real time kind of boots on the ground data is telling you, which suggests that more than likely, the Fed is going to make a policy mistake, and that policy mistake is what drags these stocks lower. That policy mistake is where we get to the end of the bear market. So again, we're not there yet, but again, doesn't mean that we can't have a fairly strong you know, rally here to allow you to sell into, raise a little bit of cash, rebalance your portfolio, et cetera. That's kind of the plan uh, that we've got right now. Um, unless something changes. Again, the Fed could come out tomorrow and say, you know, what? we decided to, to change, our, change our mind and we're going to stop hiking rates and we're going to cut, you know, cut rates tomorrow. It's a totally different, totally different environment. So things can change. And so it's always important to make sure that when you're thinking about your portfolio of what you're going to do, understand that things can change. And when, and when the data changes, you need to change what you're doing in their portfolio. So again, just kind of keep that in mind. Um, outside of that, a couple of other things to, to kind of look at as we start to get into the end of the year. This is, of course, the, the fourth quarter of the year. Um, so all eyes are about to start to focus on retail sales and kind of what's happening there. Um, again, as we start to get it closer to you know, Thanksgiving and, of course, Christmas, the retail sales are going to be much more important as a measure or a sign of just how strong the consumer is. And one of the things you want to keep a watch on right now is the amount of credit card debt that is currently being used. That, that level of credit card debt is ramping up fairly sharply. Consumers are having to open up a tremendous number of new accounts in order to extend their credit. 
that allows them to make some purchases near term. And again, as we start to resort to credit to buy things, that drags forward consumption. And again, this is okay, right? We need, we need consumers to spend. But if take a look at what's happening with credit card debt as compared to a lot of these other economic indicators that get thrown out there that say, oh, the household balance sheet is very strong, lots of savings in the bank. That's not really the case. Those savings are mostly held by the top 10% of income earners. Um, so once we start getting into the holiday shopping season, inventories are going to be the issue. Target is already talking about maybe they've gotten through the worst of their inventory overhang. But again, there's still a lot of inventory out there. And as these companies start to deal with an inventory overload, that means they order less products. So again, as we start talking about economic growth and those type of things, all signs kind of indicate slower economic growth is coming. Again, that's going to come back ultimately and impact the markets on slower earnings. So anyway, be back. Uh, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Got a lot to get into this morning. Uh, and basically talking about nine signs of a bear market. How far are we into this thing? That's the question everybody wants to know. We'll come back and talk about that with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com let's go girls what do women want when it comes to finances join richard rosso and danny ratliff for a special ladies edition lunch and learn what women need from social security thursday october 20th at noon get the most out of your social security benefits register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies lunch and learn what women need from social security thursday October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, Procter & Gamble out this morning beating EPS by about two cents. Stocks will be trading up about uh, 1.5% this morning at the open. Uh, also today, Tesla, Abbott Labs, Baker Hughes, Comerica, Equifax, IBM, Las Vegas Sands, the uh, casino, um, Steel Dynamics, Travelers, and Winnebago. So lots of earnings coming out this morning again, but just really kind of getting into earnings season now. So it's going to become kind of a full court press here. By October the 28th, we'll have 70% of the S&P 500 reporting. And this is why also, too, that buyback blackout window ends on October the 28th because stock companies can't buy back their shares within this kind of two-week period prior to them announcing earnings. So uh, there's this big kind of backlog of, of companies being shut out of buybacks temporarily. That's the, the blackout period. And by the time we get to October 28th, the majority of those companies will have reported, which opens up that window. Again, small and mid-cap companies aren't buying back shares. It's mostly the big large-cap companies, Apples, Microsoft, Googles, et cetera, you know, that have the ability to buy $100 million, $200 million, $500 million worth of stock back, right? So um, that's, that's kind of just the, um, you know, kind of what's happening. And so, uh, you know, when we get to the end of that, window, as we were saying earlier, and all those companies are coming back online, that's about $4.5 billion a day in stock buybacks through the end of the year of them just buying back their own shares. So again, that's just kind of one of those underlying bids to the markets. But again, we just kind of, you know, expect a little bit of sloppiness here over the next week or so. 
Um, it's it's you know this rally we're going to get. It's probably going to be one of these kind of fits and starts rallies where we get you know a, a little bit of rally and it pulls back and it tries to rally, pulls back, tries to rally, pull back, and then finally it gets a gets some legs under it. So again, it's going to take about another week or so. We'll get to the, um, the end of the month next week. And uh, then things should start to improve as we get into November and then uh, December. So anyway, um, kind of brings us to our, our story. One of the stories today, Danny Ratliff joining this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, Lance. Doing great. He's always so optimistic this early in the morning. It's like too much coffee. Not enough. <laughs> uh, you, you did do me. You did uh, follow my instructions. Your instructions? Yes. No. What was that? To leave your dad jokes at home. No, of course no. not. Those have been terrible. Those They've been great. Late. What are you talking about? It's like the most requested thing of the show. <laughs> I don't know about that. Look, we got to shut Lance up. What's the dad joke of the day? I know, right? Um, so anyway, um, Michael Sincere, who um, I've corresponded with over the years quite a few times, and uh, you know, we've we've exchanged a good bit of data back and forth. Um. He wrote a very interesting article. This is on Market Watch today, talking about the nine stages of a bear market. Now, you know, we've talked about, you know, there's there's many ways to measure what a bear market is and stages of a bear market. Uh, Bob Farrell, um, one of the most famous market technicians, you know, historically speaking, uh, used to work for Merrill Lynch, you know, many years ago, had nine rules of a, you know, kind of managing money. And these rules are kind of those inextinguishable, inexhaustible rules. If you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and at the search bar at the top of the of, of the webpage, um, type in Bob Farrell, and you'll get a couple of articles because we've uh, kind of written and rewritten these articles from time to time about his rules because they are such a good foundation if you want to manage your own money. These are some very good rules to follow. And one of those rules, then there's there's a lot of them we talk about on the show from time to time is that when all experts agree, something else is bound to happen, right? So basically saying that when everybody's on one side of the boat, everybody's bearish, that's generally a good contrarian indicator. So if everybody's bearish, start buying stocks. If everybody's bullish, probably a good time to start selling. Um, because if everybody's buyers, if everybody's buying stocks and they're all bullish, then who's left to sell and vice versa, right? That's kind of the point. Um, but one of his other rules is that bear markets have three stages, it has an initial down, a reflexive rally, and that reflexive rally is the one that kind of gets everybody back in. They think, oh, thank goodness the bear market's over, and then the, the final leg of the bear market comes in, which is what wipes everybody out. So, you know, what, what Michael Sincere does is just basically takes that a little bit further and kind of, you know, aggregates it down into, or I should say disaggregates it down into the psychological responses and actions that occur within a bear market cycle. And, uh, you know, again, the first thing you kind of see is these failed rallies. And we've talked about that several times this year, right? You have these rallies that start out and, and they just, they can't hold. And then they start to go to new lows. And this begins that process of, of beginning to, to weigh on people. And, and then, of course, having low volume rallies. You know, we've talked about that here on the show this year is that, you know, yeah, we have these rallies and they look like they're going to have some legs to them, but there's no volume. There's no conviction to those rallies. Um, you know, and, and again, so just as you start to see these things occur and you kind of look at where we've been this year, you know, we've seen a lot of these the very, very same things, right? Terrible looking technical charts. 
um, across the board. I mean, they're just they're all they're all bad, right? There's just there's nothing out there at the moment technically that suggests you know you should be um, you know buying stocks. And then when you do get a sell off, they're very strong. You have these you know, very sharp down days, uh, as you know, as we saw just the other day. You have you know the market opens down two percent. You're down eight hundred points on a day. Just you know big volume kind of sell off days. You know that's that's what we've seen so far. But there's still some more stuff to come, right? That we haven't got to yet. And that's the, the 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 point that you know we need to keep in mind as we move through this year and into next year as we begin to see some of the monetary policy impacts actually begin to weigh on the markets. Yeah, and I think that's an important fact that many people are overlooking at the moment in the sense that you know as we continue to see these things materialize over time there's a lot more that can come from this now it could be good or bad i think we all try to rationalize and say okay well you know look at how bad this information is going to be the market has to tank and while the market's already down quite a bit we yeah. talk about they keep talking about this soft landing they're engineering i don't know where that is or what that <laughs> if, if this is it i don't want to know what the hard landing looks like but you know, some of the other aspects of this would be, you know, mutual fund redemptions. As we mm -hmm. begin to see more and more people begin to get out as they say, hey, you know what, I can't take it anymore. And the interesting thing is, you know, back in June, we had a lot of people who were saying, man, this is a this is a lot. And it, and it was because it all happened very quickly. But then we saw that big return we saw back in July and partly through August. And all of a sudden I started getting emails saying, well, hey, um, you know, what, what are you guys doing over here? In fact, I, I think I had one since Atlanta sleep at the wheel. Mm. The markets are running and we're not fully invested in, in XYZ firm is and this firm's doing it. And it's like, wait a second. Hold on. This thing's not over yet. We don't want to go all in. Now we want to participate and take advantage of the upside. But the same token, we need to understand that, you know, you just can't throw caution to the wind in these environments. Right. And, you know, I think that, you know, what will end up happening is and another point in this article was complacency turns to panic. Mm hmm. And we get complacent. We think everything's good. Well, now those same people are saying, hey, we need to get back in you know, quicker, put more to work, are now saying, whoa, hey, we should, we should be out. What are we doing invested right now? Well, no, that's, and that's funny because you know, that's exactly what happened. Back in June, I was getting emails from people going, you know, I, I, you know, we just, why aren't you selling everything? Yeah. Why are, you know? And then when you know, have that 17% that rally, again, to your point, everybody's like going, well, why aren't we all back in? Now we're getting all the emails again. These are, and by the way, um, our clients tend to be the, the best contrarian indicators because when you start getting a bunch of phone calls of people wanting to panic, that's when we generally start buying um, because you know it's it's just human psychology and and everybody's prone to this. I'm prone to it. Danny's prone to it. Mike's prone to it. Everybody's prone to psychology and and when that press that selling pressure just gets to the point to where he's like, man, just I'm done. Just get me out of this thing. You know, that's generally the time that you don't want to, you want to do the opposite of what your gut's telling you. And, and again, there's lots of, you know, and, you know, there's just so much bad news out there. That's the other thing. You know, no matter what you turn on, you know, and you listen to people, it's just, you know, the end of the world's coming and you need to be in a bunker and you better own a lot of gold and beanie weenies and ammo and those type of things. It's easy to be bearish. It's, it's, it's easy to be bearish right now. And it's interesting because, you know, it, there's always, you know, during a bull market, you know, people are always kind of bashing bearish people going, you know, bears are only right twice a day. Well, bulls are only right twice a day, too. Um, you know, it's just it depends on which side of the cycle you're on. And, well, we're in a bearish cycle right now. So we have to be aware of that, but we also need to be aware that bearish cycles end. And they tend to be much shorter in nature than bull markets. So, again, once you get to the other side of this, life is going to be really easy for a few years. 
So, you know, just buy stuff, it'll go up and it'll all be fine. And this will be a distant memory. And, and fortunately, as human beings, we have a very short memory for pain. So this year will be a distant memory very quickly, you know, once we get there. But Well, some people do. Some don't where they've been out of the market for yeah. 10 years and wanting to get back in. Right. But, you know, another point to that, Lance, is that think about this. What is the media designed to do? If you turn on any of these channels, is there, are they there to truly provide you with information? No, they're there to sell ads. And if everything's hunky-dory and everything's good, what are you going to do? You're going to spend time with your family. You're going to be doing hobbies, things you enjoy. But when things are bad, we just have this nature where we want to say, oh my gosh, we've got to tune in. We have to understand what's going on. And we're glued to the television. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it when, when a war starts. Oh, yeah everybody's glued to it. And then after a while, people get complacent with it. But it's the same thing. So these guys are designed to sell ads. So good news, historically, is going to be like, oh, well, that's great. And you go about your day. But bad news, they're going to sit there. You're going to you're going to watch a little bit more. So always what I'm getting at is just take these things with a grain of salt, especially when you hear it on, you know, from the media. Um, everybody has a different perspective. Um, and us as well. I mean, right. you know, everybody's out. Um, you know, we're looking to share information. Um but a lot of times you've got to be careful when you turn on the yeah, no, you know, you ma- mainstream media. And look, and there's right now all news is bad news, right? I mean, yeah. it's just literally all news. Turn on anything, right? If there's, you know, the Russia, Ukraine, blown up pipelines, you know, economic data is terrible. Stock market is terrible. No matter what you look at, it's just terrible, right? News. It's just all bad news. That's also a contrarian indicator. Um, when Because, again, to, to Danny's point, the markets are pricing in all this. We had this conversation yesterday um, with a client talking about, look, the market's pricing in all this bad news. Now, could something happen that would drive the market substantially lower from here? Absolutely, but it'll be something that we're not even looking at right now. It will be an unexpected exogenous event that triggers panic selling in the market. Could that happen? Absolutely, it could happen. Is it possible it could happen? Absolutely. Will it be credit-related? Probably. But we're not there yet. But we do need to be aware of that risk, but we can't live our lives based on it. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn. What women need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So just talk a little bit about, you know, stages of a bear market and things that we go through and just kind of where we are right now. Again, you know, when you turn on news, it's just it's always bearish every every day. Uh, Look, it's been a tough year. We've had more negative days this year 
than any other year going back to 1974. You have to go back to the 74 bear market crash to find a year with more negative days in the single year, right? So every day you turn on, it's just red everywhere, and it just sucks, right? And so we've talked about that. But this is this is what bear markets do. They, they just grind on you and grind on you and grind on you until you just give up. But it's important, as we talked about before, you know, to keep some perspective, right? And, and again, you know, what the media teaches us to do is, and we've talked about this on the show previously, and it's just worth reminding you because of where we are in the market. What the media tells you to do is look at where you were at the beginning of this year, the high watermark of your portfolio, and, and look at where you are today. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm losing all this money. Back it up two years. Go back to January of, of 2019 or 2020 and look at where you were then and where you are now. And all of a sudden gives you a little bit better. Are you down? Have you have as your portfolio decreased in value this year? Absolutely. But where are you from a year or two? Where are you from a couple of years ago versus where you are now? Put some perspective on where you are. You know, and, and this is the thing. And, this, and you know, we, we do this with houses, right? Our house. You know, the only reason that we don't panic about the housing market if we're living in our house is because we don't price our house every day. The only time we ever really price our house is when we're thinking about selling. It's like, okay, well, I bought this house for you know $100,000 20 years ago. It's now worth you know $500,000, and I've made all this money. Well, you know, you look at it that way, and it makes you feel better. But you know, the house was worth $800,000 six months ago, right? And it's just lost. I'm, I'm just making up numbers, but you get the point. We just don't price our real estate every day. We look at that in a longer term time frame. What did I buy it for? What did I sell it for? think about your portfolio the same way. And, and what that does is that'll help reduce some of this emotional bias that you have about, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta do something. Sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing. And I know that's hard to, to think about, but sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing until the market gives you an opportunity to do something. And this is and and this these are mistakes that we make in both bull markets and bear markets. In bull markets, it's always like, oh, I've got I've got cash here, I've got to invest it. Well, if everything's overbought and over and overextended, there's nothing wrong with holding some cash and waiting for a better opportunity. When things are really bad and you just think things are only going to get worse, this is the time to probably put some of that cash to work, right? There's a lot of stocks that are down 60, 70, 80 percent. We added a little bit of uh, Comcast to our portfolio yesterday simply because the stock's trading at a 9 PE with over 3.5% dividend yield. I mean, you, you just don't get those kind of bargains in markets very often for a major company. So, you know, these are the things. Now, are we at the bottom of Comcast? No, probably not. And we'll buy some more if it gets cheaper, right? But there's a lot of companies out there trading at very deep discounts that you don't normally get opportunities to buy. But when markets are overvalued, you can't wait to buy these companies, right? So it's just, yeah. it, it, it's hard to do that opposite of what you're supposed to do. We all talk about being investors. And it's always interesting during during bull markets, I get you know emails from people all the time, Danny, going, you know, if this market ever gets you know fundamentally cheap, I want to buy everything. Back up the truck. And then when the market gets fundamentally cheap, they don't want to buy anything. <laughs> right. Well, it's so. human nature. It feels terrible. So, of course, yeah. you don't. You know, the interesting thing you talking about the high watermarks is that usually, you know, everybody talks about diversification. And, you know, what you just said, I can see every every buy and hold guy out there taking clips of you and saying, Lance said, don't do anything. These sometimes yeah. the best thing to do is nothing. But you know, I think it's a really good point is if you already have some cash on hand, you wait for those moments, you wait for opportunities. But look, if you're a conservative investor, 
this year you're beat up just as much or very close to you know a, an equity investor in a lot of mm-hmm. ways depending on what you're in because bonds have been down 15 16% for the year i mean it's just a tough tough environment so cash has certainly been king there's been no store of value in gold gold's been getting hammered uh, as well as other precious metals so it's been a very tough year and looking back i think it's always important to understand where you've been where you're going um look we're right in the middle of this thing and like lance mentioned Typically, bear markets, they're called bear markets for a reason because they're quick. They're typically quick, right? Think about a bear attack. It's not something that's typically drawn out. It is a, it's, it's quick, it's brutal, and it's over. And that's the same thing. So if we think about when do we start going down this year, Lance? Was it end of January, yeah. beginning of February? We're, we're here. We are in October, getting closer to November. Your average bear market's about, what, 15 months? Yep. So we may be smack dab in the middle of this. And, and yes, maybe there's some opportunity. Look, if you have not raised any cash, there's going to be great opportunities to do so. This rally may prove to be one of them. But you need to understand what's the long-term picture. Know yourself. Here's one thing I think that people forget, Lance, is that so many times we get in our own way because we get emotional about it, and we don't follow any rules, we, or we don't have any. And then we don't understand exactly, well, shoot, I sold here. Now I can't get back in. And look, I get it. It is so it's so personal because this is your livelihood. You think about it as if you're the provider for your family, you're looking to say, okay, hey, I want to make sure we can't get too off track. I want to retire. I want to send the kids to school. I mean, you know, you name it. You know, everybody has their goals and their objectives. And that's what we need to keep in mind is that can we still meet those objectives? I think so many times we think about the market just as being the market instead of what we're actually using these funds for. And that's the big picture. Right. And I think people need to, to kind of bring that back and say, okay, where am I? And if you don't have a plan, get one. Because that's that's something I think that we find gives our clients a lot of peace of mind, understanding exactly where they are. Okay, are we still on track? Did we assume for these types of markets? And did we know that something like this would come? Look, we're here to mitigate risk. It's, it, we can't avoid it. But we can certainly mitigate it by raising cash, doing uh, you know different types of trades along the way. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. I wish it were. I mean, if, if we well, could be all in or be all out, it'd be great. Yeah. And, and again, I thought it was interesting yesterday we were talking about there's a recent study out by Magnify Money about, you know, why people don't have advisors. Only two out of five individuals have a financial advisor. Um, and the reasons were interesting, right? So first of all, you know, uh, like 43 percent. And this was just they could answer multiple questions, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, do you do you have an advisor? No, I don't have an advisor. I don't trust advisors. I do it myself. So 43% of people said that they just manage their own money. And like 28%, something like that, I can't remember the exact number now, um, didn't trust financial advisors, right? So, it, you know, they're, they're doing it their own because they don't trust financial advisors. And again, I was talking about yesterday is that, you know, the financial advisory community really did a lot of this to themselves by pushing buy and hold and passive indexing and you know, just buy, you know, here, I'm going to put your money in the stagnant model of portfolio items, and you're just going to hold it no matter what, you know, why do I need you then? And, you know, the, the, and people are, have decided, well, I can, I can do that myself. And you, and you can, if you just want to buy and hold some investments, you don't need anybody, you just do it yourself. It's easy. Um, but I think the important point is, is that people don't realize all the other aspects. It's like, it's like going to a doctor and saying, I'm just here for you to prescribe me aspirin. I don't need any of your other services. I just need the aspirin, right? Or whatever your prescription drug of choice is. <laughs> so, you know, I just need you for this one thing, right? And if you go to a financial advisor simply to have them manage money for you, you're missing out on the whole purpose of having a financial advisor, 
which is to get a professional that understands all the ins and outs of all the other financial aspects of your life. It's not just about managing money. I tell, you know, I I get emails from individuals quite often. They're saying, I really want to become a financial advisor. I want to do what you do, right? I'm a portfolio manager, right? I'm not a financial advisor. Danny's a financial advisor. I just manage the portfolio. And I want to do what you do. and, And when I used to do financial advising, right, that's 90% of your day. Managing money was like 5% of your day. <laughs> well, a lot of these guys don't there's just even no time, do that. Right? They, they don't even actually manage money. They go hire somebody to go manage money. Right, because there's no time to do it. Yeah. it. There's only so many things you can do in a day. And and what I try to explain to people that say this is like, oh, I want to I do that. You know, being a financial advisor requires a, a huge time commitment to sitting with individuals, holding their hands, understanding what their needs are. And you're more psychologist than, than you are anything else just yeah, trying to I, weed through all these different you know issues that everybody has i could use a degree in psychology way more than finance half the time right <laughs> exactly. and it's funny i have couples walk out and they're like well i feel like this was a counseling lesson here yeah. a session here you know and 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 that's and that's great though because that's what we're here for so people ask like okay what do you guys do and yes it's managing money yes it's building financial plans but i tell everybody look there's nothing off limits so when it's coming to finances I don't care if you're going to buy a vehicle, you're thinking about how do I how do I afford this or do this? That's what we're here for, to kind of help walk people through it. I think the interesting thing about that study was that, you know, and, and this makes sense, that if you were a six-figure income earner, you're more likely to have a financial advisor. Right. Um, and baby boomers, right? You're older, you're getting closer to retirement. And, you know, many times, I mean, how many times have you heard this? Somebody says, you know what? I just need somebody to manage money. I don't need a financial plan. I'm not quite ready to retire. I want to, we'll do that, you know, a year out from retirement. Right. It's like, man, there's so many things we could do if we can do these things a lot earlier, right? I mean, if you've listened to the show, you hear us talk about diversification of accounts, not just assets, but where do you keep these funds and, and how are you investing in different areas? So, you know, most people think of diversification as you know, large cap, mid cap, small cap. We think of it as, okay, what other types of investments? Where do you put these funds that give you more flexibility in retirement to make distributions to keep more money in your pocket? And I think that's a big thing that's so often overlooked. And, and, and look, about growing up now, if I could go back and be 20 years oh, old again man. Yeah. and have a financial advisor who would tell me, don't do this and don't get into credit card debt and don't do these other things, you're going to put be funds s- here, not here. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're going to be so much better off if, you know, but I wouldn't have listened to him at the time. But the, <laughs> the point is, is man, I would yeah. be so much further down the road. And everybody would. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll pick up with how much should you pay yourself in retirement? That's always uh, kind of the big question that people ask. And it's, it's an, always an interesting answer. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies lunch and learn. What women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
So welcome back to the show. Um, just uh, wrapping up on our last conversation, we had uh, a question on the YouTube channel asking, you know, can you have a, a financial planner and a different investment manager? And yes, you can. Uh, you just have to really make sure that they're on the same page because, again, it's kind of like having an architect draw up your house and then taking it to a contractor to build it, and they just kind of throw away the the architecture plan and just build whatever they want to build. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to really make sure that that what your plan is, and this is why, you know, uh, you know, here at RA Advisors, we do everything in-house, um, is to make sure that what the plan states and what the portfolio is doing is the same thing, right? So that we, that there's a, there's a commonality between, you know, the planning, the architecture and the actual construction. Um, so yeah, it, you can certainly do it. Um, but you've also got to be careful because you're going to really start layering on a lot of fees. So for us, the portfolio management, the financial planning, all that is all one, it's all included in, in one fee. Uh, when you start separating it out, you're going to pay a fee to the planner. You're going to pay a fee to the manager. You're going to pay a fee to the platform. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other fees I'm probably missing, Danny. Yeah, no, but those are things that we, we do see quite frequently. In fact, if you go back and listen to last Friday's show, we talked about that a little bit. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're going to have a financial advisor who will go hire a separate money manager. And that's okay, too. But just like Lance said, I mean, that's where the, the fees add up because you're paying the advisor, then you're paying the other money manager. And it just gets to be costly over time. So be cautious on that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes it's good to have some independence in the sense of, um, you know, being able to find somebody to do each role. But the left hand always has to know what the right hand's doing. And that's where I think we get into problems. And so we have people who sometimes they have multiple financial advisors. They're like, look, I need to consolidate accounts. I need to figure this out because this is getting to be a job just managing you know, different meetings, understanding the philosophy, what somebody's doing, making sure there's not too much overlap. And it can happen easily where you get, next thing you know, you have a ton in one certain area, but this guy didn't know what, what this person was doing and vice versa. Yeah. And, and so it gets to become an issue. No, and I think that's a hugely important point because, you know, I, I, I get this email a lot. It's like, you know, uh, I'd like to hire you to manage, you know, some of my money. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing with the rest of your money? Well, I've got it, you know, I've got it diversified among a bunch of different managers, right? So, and not managers, yeah. so to speak, but different advisors. So they've got a Merrill Lynch account, they've got a Fidelity account, they've got this account, that account, and they think they're diversified. That's not diversification. What and, and Danny just alluded to it a second ago, which is it actually increases your risk substantially. Just, you know, assume for a moment that, you know, you you own Apple in one account and you go look across your other accounts. Everybody owns Apple. So now you've got a concentration risk. It's called overlap risk or concentration risk in one position because everybody's buying the same thing. So you're not diversifying your risk. You're 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 actually making things a lot more complicated on yourself and you're diluting your returns over time. Um, so, you know, what you want to do is find a manager that you can work with and diversify your assets between you know, non-correlated assets, whether it's small cap, mid cap, large cap, international, emerging markets. That's diversification of assets. D diversifying your managers just creates a whole plethora of other problems from overlap risk to allocation risk to even understanding what your money's doing risk, <laughs> you know, because again, you know, you get all these statements that are coming in and you really have no idea what you, you know, and, and this is always my first, this is my litmus test mm -hmm. when people come to me and they say, okay, I've got all these accounts. I go, great. They give me all these statements from all these different brokers. First question I asked them says, what's your allocation to equities? I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? You diversified your assets. Well, I've never really added it up, right? Well, how much do you have in, in you know, a particular area, bonds, right? I don't know. 
And, and it's because they think they're diversified, but they really have no idea. And then when you start to do the math and you show them that you've got a tremendous overlap risk here and you've got a big concentration risk in five stocks, then kind of all the alarm bells go off, right? And it's like, well, I never thought about it that way. And it's like, well, you will when you get in a bear market. And that's where you really get, that's where you really find out is overlap risk is fine as long as markets are going up because everything's going up. But you get to a bear market, you find out really quick, you're not really all that diversified. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, one of the bigger issues, so obviously if you're looking across multiple money managers, but we see this a lot with mutual funds, especially when you're dealing with one fund family. So there's still a lot of, a lot of guys out there that do transactional business and they may say, hey, we're going to put you all in XYZ fund family. And you think you're diversified because you're in seven or eight different mutual funds. But really in actuality, you own a lot of the same stuff. And so that's where you have to be really cautious. So, you know, one thing that we always advocate for when you have multiple money managers, make sure you do have a financial plan that encompasses everything. So you do understand exactly what you own and the risk that it entails. So nobody cares when it's going up. But like you said, Lance, when it goes down, that's when it becomes an issue. Yep, absolutely. Um, so real quick, uh, just wanted to touch on this one topic because I always thought this was interesting. By the way, did you know that McDonald's adult Happy Meal toys are listed up to $300,000 on eBay? What? They sold out cactus plant flea market boxes, a.k.a. McDonald's Happy adult Happy Meal. So these are Happy Meals for adults. So they have these? I mean, I, haven't, I can't tell you last time I've been to McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can get a Happy Meal. Say, here's Lance's Happy Meal. Yeah, but it's for adults. And if this doesn't goes to show you just how much we've regressed as a society, the fact that we now need adult Happy Meals tells you a lot. Um, oh, it's like participation trophies. Exactly. And and emotional support pets. Um, adult Happy Meals popping up for on for resale on eBay for $300,000. So if you can lay, lay your hands on an adult Happy Meal box with the toys in it unopened i'm I'm sure hey the burger is gonna look the same okay it doesn't matter yeah if it was 20 years ago or today i mean yeah it's it's the half-life of mcdonald's hamburger about five five fifty years yeah not the same as a twinkie exactly so but anyway so there you go so want to make some money okay so want to pay yourself in retirement get either get a mcdonald's happy meal and sell it on ebay or You'd have more than the average retirement account, so that's pretty much the, pretty much the case. Um, just shows you too too much too many people with too much money. Um, anyway, but Kiplinger had a, a recent article out talking about how you know how much should you pay yourself in retirement. You know, it's always an interesting question because it really depends on what you need. And this is always the problem with a lot of these articles you see on CNBC and other places. They're like, oh, if you have it, you know, how to save a million dollars so you can retire early. Retiring early on a million dollars, a million dollars doesn't get you that far anymore, right? I mean, you know, if you've got a couple of kids and a house note, a million dollars isn't going to do much at 4% interest. And it was a lot worse when it was a half a percent interest on 10-year treasury notes. And we'll get back there eventually, but a million dollars doesn't get you very far. So what you pay yourself in retirement is really a function of your lifestyle. And, And then, of course, from there, you can figure out how much you need in assets to generate that income. So it's it's kind of one of these interesting questions. It's not a one size fits all issue. No, it's it's not, and that's the problem. Is that everybody wants to make this a one size fits all issue? And you know, I've I've said this many times. I've told people with half a million dollars they can retire. I've told people with ten, fifteen, twenty million dollars that they cannot, because it all boils down to how much money you. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's so passionate about this, he gets choked up. So this is this is a big passionate issue for, for Danny. Go ahead. Yeah, excuse me. So what it all boils down to, though, is how much money you're going to spend in retirement. And so I think that the big picture is not just how much money you're going to spend, but longevity. What's your longevity risk? And so it is so difficult to become go from an accumulator to a decumulator. And people take that for granted so often. I mean, we talk about crossover risk. We do our large, uh, we used to call it the retirement right lane class. Uh, we've we've changed a lot of stuff with it and added some new some new content. But at the end of the day, we call it a crossover risk or the black hole because many people go into it psychologically because it's so difficult to switch from the accumulator to a decumulator. So a lot of things you need to, to figure out is number one, what is the income that you need? So I have somebody like visited with somebody yesterday said, listen, every man in my family has died at this age. Here's how old I am. I have not been in the best of health, but I'm not in terrible health. Here's what I expect my longevity to be. Now, if I live longer, I don't want to run out of funds. But at the same token, I don't want to leave everything. Nobody needs it. So how do we come up with a strategy for somebody like that versus somebody who says, I need X amount every single month? So we have to back into a number. Because we need to fit these goals. And so ideally what we want to do is understand, you know, this is where everybody needs a financial plan. Everybody wants to do it on the back of a bar napkin, Lance. Right. And what we need to do is understand, okay, where do you where do you spend your money? What are your hobbies? So people say, what do you mean? What, what does it matter what my hobby is? Well, it matters because that's how you're going to spend your time and you're going to spend your money. So if you're going to play golf four days a week or you're going to go on a fishing trip or you're going to go, I mean, you name it. Everything's there's a dollar sign attached to most everything that you do whether you like it or not. So we just need to, to put these things in context and start backing into these numbers. But, you know, this goes down to, to accumulation, all right? How do you take Social Security? You know, we see so many people take it early, take the emotional approach with it and say, you know, this is part of that decumulation strategy on how do you recreate that paycheck? Social Security is going to be a big part of it. So let's not leave money on the table. And how do you not do it just for you? But if you're married or your spouse, to ensure that you guys get the most out of it over the both of your lifespans, not just one. So I think that's a really important part. How do you take the distributions? You know, we you just mentioned 4%. Everybody has this old school 4% rule. That hasn't been the case with, with yields as low as they've been for years. Right. And many people haven't been able to rely on that like they used to. So we think it should be a little bit more variable in nature and understanding, okay, how do we recreate this paycheck that's going to meet all of your non-discretionary needs, keep a roof over your head, keep you clothed, fed, you know, all of those things that we all need and want. And then we can look at the rest of it that can be a little bit more variable to recreate the remainder of that, the things you want to do, not that you have to do. And that's going to wrap up the show for the day. This morning, lots of earnings are out. Procter & Gamble, Generac uh, down 16%. This is the uh, generator a uh, company that everybody was buying during the pandemic-driven shutdown following the freeze here in Texas. Everybody's out buying generators. Um, Generac reporting this morning, uh, missed earnings, much softer quarter than expected, and lots of pressure from people going, don't really need one anymore. So uh, that stock's down. A lot of other stocks up this morning. Markets are down a little bit pre-market. We'll see how today plays out. The 20-day moving average stocks need to stay above that today. Um, if we do rally off that, that'll be actually a, a good bullish sign for this continued rally. That wraps up the show. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Stick around. Three minutes on markets and money. Coming right up.